Hello and welcome to All Indians Matter. I am Ashraf Engineer. There are many forces that shape history, but few people think of food as a factor. In fact, food and history are closely linked. For instance, it was the quest for spices that drew Vasco da Gama to India and also Christopher Columbus to undertake his voyage. Food can tell us a lot about a society and its evolution and numerous historic events have been sparked by food. One example of this is sugar. Tea in China was not drunk with sugar. It was the Europeans who mixed it into tea, chocolate and coffee. As demand for sugar grew, they established plantations in the Caribbean and Brazil, worked by men and women captured and enslaved from Africa. Let's talk about the link between food and history in India. All Indians matter. Dr. Tarana Hussain Khan is a writer and food historian based in Rampur, Uttar Pradesh. Her articles on Rampur cuisine, culture and oral history have appeared in many publications. She wrote a monthly column on Rampur cuisine called Food Fables for the Daily O. She has contributed a short story to the anthologies Desi Delicacies and Dastarkhan, Food Writing from South Asia and Diaspora. She also curates the Forgotten Foods series of articles on Scroll and her book Rampuri Cuisine, Food History, Memories and Recipes shall be published in 2022. She is currently working on a Global Challenges Research Fund and Arts and Humanities Research Council funded research project called Forgotten Food, Culinary Memory, Local Heritage and Lost Agricultural Varieties in India. Tarana's historical fiction book, The Begum and the Dasta, won the Kalinga Litfest Book of the Year Award in the fiction category. Her first novel was I'm Not a Bimbit, and it had a sequel, Cyber Bullied. She hosts a website on Rampur culture and oral history called taranakhanauthor.com. Welcome to the show, Tarana. Thank you so much, Mr. Ashraf Engineer, and thank you so much for the generous introduction. That was so kind of you, really. And yes, um, um, it's an honor and a pleasure to be here on this uh, podcast. Um, let's hope we have something interesting to tell our listeners. I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. Thank you for taking the time. Tarana, how does food impact history? And could you give us a couple of examples from India? Yes. So um, if I, uh, if you look back at the wide sweep of history, um you would, uh, one, the movements of tribes and nations and the conquest, the colonization, it is amazing that a lot of it was inspired by the desire to, um, to you know, have some new foodways or to support the foodways. For instance, you gave the example of spices and we all know how spices actually uh, changed the uh, history of India by colonization. And um, uh, of course, the uh, Portuguese and then um, the Spanish, all of them came as, a, you know, just for the spices. And so that made a difference to um, the history of this subcontinent as well. And let us look at something uh, called uh, tea. Let's say it, it was not really a part of our uh, culture at all and yet uh, today India and let's look, look at uh, the British Isles and uh, everywhere tea is a very very important part of uh, the daily culture. Absolutely I think most Indians today simply can't live without it. Yes and it was just induced by the British it was just introduced to them you see and uh, the China, it was it was a Chinese uh, product and therefore then we had all the tea plantations in Darjeeling, etc., the whole tea culture that went along with it. 
and the sugar was added, as you just pointed out. Um, another uh, example I would give was the interchange or the bringing in of new vegetables, the bringing in of new cuisines, and the kind of uh, transformation of cuisines that took place throughout history. So food becomes a sort of a metaphor for civilization. And food also becomes a marker of civilization and changes in civilization. So I, I think food and history are really deeply intertwined. Absolutely. Very well put. Food becomes a metaphor for civilization and a marker for civilization. There's also a cultural impact. For instance, when immigrants started moving to the U.S., they took their food with them and that became a part of American culture. Similarly, in Africa, colonizers used food as a way to erase local cultures and incorporate locals into European systems of domination. Could you talk a little bit about that in the Indian context? Uh, let's look at India. Uh, coming in of, let us say, the Turkish, the Turkish with their food ways, and the way they use, of course, meat was being cooked in India as well. Now, when the Turkish cuisine came in, inspired by uh, Persian cuisine and Arabic cuisine, and uh, let's let's look at, let us say, samosa. So samosa came over, uh, you know, around that period. Uh, and, you know, it was introduced uh, into the Indian cuisine as well, though you will be surprised that samosa uh, started using aloo much much, much later, because in fact, potatoes were brought in by the Portuguese. It was just a, a something that was, samosa was a crust that was filled with the mincemeat or maybe sometimes dry fruits. So um, you see, the, in Indian context, if you look at it, there was a slow um, amalgamation of foods from the Muslim countries the invaders who came to India, settled down in India and started amalgamating the Indian cuisines into their own cuisines. And then we have this, um, the huge, simply vast repertoire of uh, Indian cuisines that is really, truly undefinable. I mean, I think every 200 kilometers, you'll find a different kind of cuisine in India. Absolutely. I think also a lot of readers would not know uh, what you just said is that samosa, which is so common in India, does not have Indian origins and uh, even potatoes, which are so commonly used in our cuisine, actually came from elsewhere. Karana, do you agree with the view that uh, food is inherently political? Because countless governments have fallen due to food issues. For instance, in India, onion prices are a political issue. In the US, the Boston Tea Party is one example of a rebellion over food. And in France, bread shortages during, during King Louis XVII's reign were a major factor in the revolution. You are absolutely right. Food always has some role to play in political upheavals, political cultures, political changes are often supported by uh, food. So um, even today, if you look at it, the, the, new, the government has certain issues with uh, some meats. For instance, very recently, there was this issue of no, uh, any meat uh, pre preparations should not be sold uh, near uh, uh, temples and near schools, etc., etc. So I feel that at times, you know, uh, I think most of the time, the political regime tries to show control by targeting the most basic facet of human existence, and that is food. 
it can be through allowing uh, things it can be through disallowing certain things it can be through putting an embargo in the supply of certain food items and it will always have a very high impact that's right and in addition to what you mentioned the beef ban also comes to mind yes yes absolutely what about the link between food and religion and especially in india we associate certain foods with certain religious customs for instance a funeral and could you elaborate on that with some examples yes so um what i discovered um over here um, in my little town i actually belong to rampur i live and write in rampur and uh, let me just give you some ex- uh, some idea about rampur it, it was one of the uh, a very politically important princely state in the north of india and so um if we look at the culture um it just became a sort of a node a cultural node because after 1857 and the fall of um delhi and awadh uh, this became the cultural center of muslim culture and if you look at the kind of customs that are being followed in um, rampur whether it's among muslims or hindus or sikhs etc food has always been the center of everything for instance uh, in rampur when there is a funeral there would be feeding of the people and generally the feeding is amazingly elaborate there would be a pulao or there would be a korma roti and which is so such a strange thing however among the non muslims the food that is fed right after a, a burial would be extremely simple and in fact among the non muslims that i think all um, uh, over the north india you are not allowed to have meat at least uh, the the people who are near to the person who just passed away they are supposed not to have meat for some time or practice some abstinence for some times because just to give uh, peace to the departed soul so these are the different customs that that uh, you find that are so close to they always related to food and um, i think it it's extremely interesting now uh, for instance during uh, a marriage uh, you always have the the bride to be she is fed jalebi and dudh and uh, laddu etc to keep her maybe sweet tempered as a wife or something like that <laughs> so food and customs marriage and death and birth and the first food of the baby is kheer and you know all of that i think is deeply uh, connected in fact there are social customs attached to is it for instance uh, i remember reading something that you wrote that in rampur refusing a khichdi daawat is akin to swatting away a hand of friendship ah uh, yes it's it's a sort of an informal thing you know uh, like uh, if i'm close to you i'll say oh come over and have khichdi at my place now you would find that such a stupid thing why would a person go to another person's place to have khichdi which is a very very normal thing but the thing is that it is urad ki dal ki khichdi and it has a certain you know informality certain friendliness and of course there there are other things with it like there is gobi gosht there would be uh, maybe koftas with it keema with it so it's not just khich the khichdi is the center uh, stage but there are lots of other um, you know condiments to go with the khichdi the general idea is the informality of sitting together and having uh, a meal a winter meal let's say midday meal generally it's never at night it's always a midday meal 11 12 1 o'clock 
and followed by a nice lazy afternoon siesta. So, <laughs> yes, it is about friendship. Uh, and uh, of course, food's impact on language. Uh, for instance, we say we are breaking bread or this isn't our cup of tea or ghar ki mudgi dal barabar also. It's a fairly common term. Ye mu or masoor ki dal is one <laughs> that that is such a, a, a very strange kind of a, a saying. And so I was wondering, what does it mean? Ye mu or masoor ki dal. And that, that there's a food story that goes with all these sayings. Uh, for instance, with Yemu Masoor Ki Dal, there was this Nawab who had hired a cook and he would just make Masoor Ki Dal. And so the Nawab said, okay, uh, how, you know, it's really expensive. He's just making Masoor Ki Dal and he's put on put in so many spices and asli ghee and cream and whatnot. And the uh, cook was so upset about it and he, the Nawab did not even touch that Masoor Ki Dal. It was such a humble dish. So he just threw the masoor ki dal and he said, ye mu or masoor ki dal, you don't deserve this masoor ki dal, you know, <laughs> like that. So, that, so th- that's one food story to go with the <laughs> saying also. It's a lovely story. <laughs> Given all this, would you agree that food is more than a means of survival? Uh, is it multidimensional, something that shapes us, our identities, our culture and ultimately society as a whole? I I have all I have always maintained that food and food ways determine the it food is actually a marker of civilization. Food is a marker of how people live and what they prefer as well. And food ways is a a dis- distinct culinary identity of a people. So when I talk about culinary identity, it it encompasses food as the mainstay of the identity of a person. And this is something, this is a conclusion that I came um, up after, I don't know, I'm not a foodie at all. And that's that's a very, very strange thing to say. But I was never a foodie at all. But once you start uh, researching about food, etc., you realize that your culinary identity is such an inherent part of yourself, whether even if you are an indifferent eater, even then it, it's a very, very important part of you. Like if you serve me a bad korma, I would, you know, kind of <laughs> really immediately realize that, okay, this, this person does has no idea about eating. And I really don't think, <laughs> you know, I should go again to his place. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> this from a person who is not very uh, doesn't have a very well defined uh, food senses let us say right uh, what have been the major culinary influences in India over the centuries I know you've mentioned some of them earlier but uh, if you could elaborate on that uh, when, when I um, look at Indian history and I've been a student of history what I feel is that um, and everybody including the colonists have come in with their food influences. And uh, if, if you look right uh, from the time of the Aryans and the Kushans and the Greeks, then um, uh, let's go down to the Chinese and everybody. Uh, the, then, of course, the Muslims, all of them um, have brought in some culinary influences and uh, led to this amalgamation of a, a sort of a palate that is extremely diversified. And therefore, when somebody talks to me about authentic food, like somebody says, this is authentic Rampuri or this is authentic Mughal, I just have a 
big laugh because there is nothing that is authentic, especially not in India. Nothing is authentic. Everything is borrowed and mixed and amalgamated and it has just been done over centuries. So if, if you have a khichdi, khichdi is something that really surprised the invaders, the Muslim invaders, and they said, uh, what kind of people are they? They mix the grains and eat it. You know, they have chawal and dal and they mix it and they eat it. What kind of people are these? And when khichdi was first served, I believe, by Humayu to the emperor uh, of Persia, he was totally enthralled. He said, what is this? This is such an interesting dish. So it's the simplest dish in India, which has, uh, you know, I think it was also mentioned in the ancient uh, writings uh, in India. And it was such an amazing dish for the Muslims. And they, you know, put it into their cuisine. At say, so now we ha- I read something about uh, Khichri Daud Khani. Khichri Daud Khani is a Mughal dish and it also has meat in it, you know. <laughs> So they put meat in it. Like Muslims, I guess, were ready to put meat into everything. So they put yeah. meat in it. I'm very happy with it. Yeah, it sounds very good also as you talk about it. But you know, uh, the, when you mentioned about amalgamations, I simply can't resist talking about this. About how there's nothing authentic and everything gets amalgamated into, you know, the Indian style of cooking to Indian Chinese. with such yes. a big hit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but then I also want to bring you talk uh, help, uh, tell you about uh, ask you rather about another story uh, that's there's an interesting story around Na- Nawab Hamid Ali Khan and Khichri which you recount in an article that talks not just, not just about how seriously the royal took the, the royals took their food but also how they doled out favors for great meals cooked by their staff uh, so please recount that story for us yes yeah, so this is a very interesting story which has actually been documented and written down Uh, by a, a historian it's a part of oral history also the nawabs are very fond of khichdi uh, which is such a um, and even the mughal emperors in fact were extremely fond of this very simple dish so nawab hamid ali khan when he used to eat he generally dined alone and uh, there used to be a person standing over there uh, ready to you know pull the khansama and you know give him best of lashes if he had messed up something so once he was having a pulao and there was a, a piece of a bone you know maybe you know the, the bone must have melted or something or the other so he said oh, there's a bone in the pulao how dare he just call that khansama and so that khansama probably got it really badly Next time he was having khichdi and he loved that khichdi so he said who's the khan sama just call him so then the khan sama was called and uh, he said ke uh, okay i can give you a reward whatever reward that you want so he said okay uh, i want you to send i have four sons please send them all to get education at aligarh muslim university except one whom i'm going to uh, teach the skill you know because it always passed from father to son so actually all those three sons got educated and they they probably made a, a good life of themselves just because of a khichdi that was well cooked <laughs> so that's the story <laughs> you don't know what pays off right <laughs> yes, yes food is a, a you know i think most people are really passionate about food but i have that's seen right. that that in rampur a lot <laughs> yeah 
since you mentioned rampur how did you get interested in chronicling food and its history and especially rampur cuisine which i know you are very passionate about yes so rampur uh, it was never my intention to you know research about um, food because as i told you I, i'm not a foodie though being a rampuri you are all the time surrounded by food but it was like kind of a, a thing that never crossed my mind i was uh, researching the rampur culture because when i um, came back and settled in rampur in 2010 i wanted to know about this place because it's a place of my forefathers and my husband's forefathers also so i started reading history then culture i started writing about culture then i came upon these uh, persian uh, cookbooks that are preserved in the raza library which is a is a huge library in rampur uh, it's an uh, uh, one repository of ancient manuscripts i came across these manuscripts which were in persian and they were cookbooks dating to 19th century end of 19th century and middle from 1826 uh, till end of 19th century some of them are undated also and that was really intriguing because uh, you know i know urdu but i don't know persian i didn't know persian at that time so i just i was just reading through and there are like 50 60 kinds of pulaos there are 50 60 kind of kormas and i only know one pulao i only know one biryani and you know uh, what are these the rest of the pulaos all about so then i started translating these uh, manuscripts uh, with the help of a persian tutor i started learning persian and that's how i just became involved in this and i realized so much of our uh, culinary gains that rampur and other uh, you know cultural centers had made had been totally lost because now we just know the basics now we just eat the basics whether you go to hyderabad you'll have another kind of a biryani but that's it one kind of hyderabadi biryani and the same thing with avad avad also has and a lot of it of course like i said amalgamation a lot of rampuri food was also amalgamated from avad and mughal uh, food cuisine from delhi also so then i became intrigued with this idea that yes food was so important in rampur that um the the cooks were called there were about 100 cooks who were preparing food they were from delhi they were from delhi they were from avad they were from a number of places around rampur and and then they were trying to make it according to the taste of the pathan palate let's say so something great was happening here in rampur and which we have totally forgotten so that's how i became involved in rampur cuisine so tell us about rampur cuisine itself uh, which you've written a book about yes so um, right now i am the final um, editing stages of a book called rampur cuisine and um, food memories and recipes so it's not it's not just recipes because um, recipes are something i i think the whole idea of food is not just food i think that's what i am trying to put in the book it's not just about food it's food and culture and memories uh, that are uh, entwined with food Uh, so this book is about the foods that we are eating these days in rampur and what is rampur cuisine like i said no cuisine is like authentic or extremely different from every other cuisine but yes there are certain things that i find in rampur uh, cuisine that is different from let's say other cuisines 
it is the use of certain spices whole spices but the spices are never overpowering like in avadhi cuisine you will find that there are a lot of aromatics a lot of spices and uh, rampur you will have the basic spices generally whole spices and the texture is generally a lot of meat uh, the texture of meat is more important uh, then then you know covering up everything with a whole lot of spices that is one thing i've realized about rampur cuisine uh, and the other thing is that most of the the things that we um, amalgamated and created in rampur uh, have been lost that's the other thing and so i'm trying to recreate uh, this the, the lost foods let's say of rampur and that has become a part of what i'm <laughs> trying to achieve here that's wonderful and in fact uh, i must confess uh, that as you've been describing the cuisine i'm feeling a, a few hunger pangs by sense <laughs> 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 but you know rana you also been doing something else that i find really intriguing uh, which is you've been involved in growing heritage varieties of rice now tell us about that and also why it's important for us to preserve and revive such varieties Yes so um, in the middle of this story while i was researching etc uh, my articles were shared and uh, a, a professor of history called uh, professor shivan lambert hurley in the university of sheffield she became really interested in what i was doing and um, which was very good because alone you can't make any changes these these were huge things that uh, that i was trying to achieve i couldn't uh, cook all those recipes for instance that's the first thing even if i was able to translate all the cookbooks i couldn't cook them and if you don't cook them then what is the sense of the whole thing at the end of it we started working on a project which is the arts and humanities research council which is uh, what british council is all about that that project consists of recreating the recipes as well as it's called forgotten food culinary memories and lost variety of rices because i wrote in my article that some of the rices that were used till the 1990s are not found in rampur anymore so for instance there is a rice called tilak chandan and this is just something that i realized in rampur there are about uh, then i realized that there are uh, more than 2 lakh heritage varieties all over india with their unique uh, properties especially the properties of uh, the aroma of that rice the nutritional properties of that rice which have been etched out by the hybrid varieties which are easier to grow so uh, so when i uh, came to this realization and i wrote about it the project also became uh, the uh, you know repopularization of this heritage variety i just pointed out two which were grown in rampur one was tilak chandan which was for khichdi and the and the daily kind of a rice small grain highly aromatic rice and the second was hansraj which is a long grain rice also very aromatic which we use for our pulaos right and both these 1990s is hardly you know just uh, i mean let's say not a few years back but yes quite recent not a very long time not a very yeah. long time back so it's very sad that we don't have them anymore in fact now if you have pulao and i've realized this you could be eating plastic rice because all that you are uh, all the all that you are smelling as aroma are the spices you don't smell any rice in the pulao nothing at all 
it could just be anything you know that it's just the smell of uh, the um, meat and the spices that's it so uh, therefore we finally found this rice seeds because in some pockets there we could still find these rice seeds some farmers had kept them and then we grew them at a farm that was last year we grew this tilak chandan and we were lucky because this year we tried again and there were floods in rampur we were able to grow it and we sent this to the university of sheffield they have a special facility a special lab over there where they tested uh this uh, tilak chandan and found the genetic markers and now they are trying to work out something like kind of make a hybrid out of tilak chandan which is easily grown and the yield would be higher and they're growing it in their labs also so it's it's a, actually a very very a huge project i can just say that we've just made a beginning over here and you know there's just so much to do but uh, i think again people are really passionate about rice because all the time people keep messaging me and saying so, can we have a go of rice and i don't grow rice no <laughs> 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 rice or <laughs> i'm going to ask you a kilo of the cooked pulao version <laughs> <laughs> you have to rampur <laughs> yeah it sounds it sounds like it's worth the worth the travel but uh, i know you already spoken a bit about the <laughs> forgotten foods project but tell us more about it it sounds really interesting and also what's your role in it other than what you've already mentioned so my role i am the chief researcher um actually uh, the forgotten food project is the focus is on rampur but there are other um, cultural centers like uh, uh, awad and hyderabad and bhopal and delhi which are a part of this project but what we are doing is mainly in rampur so number one i am trying to um, you know i have translated this recipes that's how it began and some of these recipes i am just trying to make you know create them with the help of a khansama a local khansama that is the chef kind of modernizing it making it workable and so up to now we have done it with about 20 such recipes and the next step is we are going to teach these recipes to the other local khansamas because you see in rampur the khansamas are extremely poor they just go from one catering to another one marriage to another and covid has hit them pretty badly so if we teach them these new recipes they have something new to offer you know um for for their uh, maybe they can demand a higher price also and uh, the thing is also that these khansamas are very poor things they are very uh, you know they struggling for survival so they don't really plan up ahead so they have one uh, three four weddings and they earn a bit and then they are happy for some time and then they get another wedding uh, they barely have any recognition Uh, there is a lot of there they have they facing a lot of issues so we are just trying to help you know train them with the new recipes we are trying to come up with something uh, that's a cookbook of these old uh, recipes um, hopefully about 20 to 30 recipes which are doable and easily uh, you know people norm, uh, ordinary people can do it at home and then we plan to have a jashne uh, rampur uh next year actually we were supposed to have it this year but because of covid we extended the project and that will be a sort of a food festival we also making a documentary on yeah, so when you say next year i just want to uh, uh, 
please book the date yeah, yeah sorry sorry to interrupt <laughs> i just wanted to inform viewers that yeah just yeah, just wanted to inform viewers that when tarana says next year she means uh, 2022 we are recording yeah. this in uh, late 2021 yeah. so just uh, just yeah. so that there is no confusion please please continue tarana sorry yes. for that So no no so um, so against the backdrop of the beautiful Raza library which was a darbar hall of Rampur and the Rang Mahal which was the guest house we shall have this um, food festival we shall have the screening of the documentary on Rampur cuisine we also writing papers we've already published a book called Desi Delicacies as a part of the project it, it was uh, quite a, a big hit and uh, very interesting food stories so we are bringing together food writers from all over the world to write about food and culinary memories as well so uh, this whole project has a lot of aspects but i think the core of the project is rampur cuisines and trying to popularize rampur cuisines and um, helping out the khansamas who have Uh, some let's let's say they are repositories of rampur cuisine but actually they are not because most of these uh, the gains of the cuisine like i said um, has been lost over the generations and in fact i would my next question was going to be about your project with the uh, khansamas you training them uh, how many could you tell us some more detail how many khansamas are involved and what is the process of training them and then once they're through that is there some sort of a tasting process that certifies them how does that whole process work up yeah so um, right now the first stage is the recipes that we have isolated like 20 25 recipes that we have isolated that okay yeah this is going to be the training session uh, very interestingly the local administration um, has also woken up to the fact about the rampur cuisine um, and they also want to support this effort so we um, we have actually uh, three four groups of khansamas because you see khansamas and this is a very small town so they 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 never they can never do stuff all alone so there are three four groups and it's easy for us to identify them and therefore train them because if you train one from one group then that knowledge will go uh, to everybody so we did one session where we were doing halwas um, and uh, there was a festival that was zaikai rampur that was hosted by the district administration which had uh, during navrat so that's that's why we had halwas <laughs> uh, because uh, it was a time that you could have halwas very happily so we had amazing halwas even i was shocked i don't know if a lot of our listeners have heard of adrak ka halwa adrak ka halwa that is ginger halwa that is an amazing dish of rampur and um, there was turmeric halwa which shocked me because it was so good it was Wow. it was made of uh, you know kachi haldi and there was no haldi thing in it and it's supposed to be extremely good there was neem ka halwa just a slight taste of neem otherwise you can't even understand that this is neem ka halwa there was lehsan ka halwa yeah and imagine neem being so bitter and yeah, garlic lehsan as you said being you know, tasting what it is imagine it's a sweet dish yes even ghas ka halwa so so these were things you see because they uh, the cooks wanted to please the nawab so uh, they used to create all this stuff and <laughs> um, uh, 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 all these things came out of it but the old khansamas just did not share the recipes so we are just trying to recreate things bring together for instance adrak halwa was a very important part of rampur cuisine 
so we are recreating that adrak ka halwa uh, from very old recipes that uh, we have found again so this is this is something mm-hmm. that that we are doing this is lovely done with <laughs> halwas let's see what comes next yeah absolutely <laughs> So Tarana uh, here's a question I ask all my guests at the end of the conversation why do you do this work Yes why do I do this this is this is a very very interesting question did I set out to do things about rampur cuisine no I did not but once I just felt that there is certain social relevance of doing this work of uh, popularizing like it it would just make a mark somewhere put rampur on the map on the map on the culinary map a lot of people don't know about rampur or putting just rampur on the map rampur on the culinary map is the first step i'm sure it's just going to have a snowball effect because rampur has so much to offer it is you know it's something that was it was neglected after independence i've seen it crumble in front of my own eyes as i was growing up i've seen the buildings falling down taken down and i think we didn't love our rampur enough and so maybe um just i feel that slowly this one effort will slow snowball into something good for rampur that's the reason and we hope exactly that happens atrana two lakh varieties of rice lesun ka halwa turmeric halwa ghas ka halwa Tarana thanks so much for this absolutely fascinating conversation around food and history. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you for having me. And right at the end I would just invite all my listeners that we're going to launch this book on Rampur cuisine, um culinary history, food memories next year around Eid time that is April 2022. and let's hope it's out it's uh, it's going to be published by penguin and i hope it will be interesting for you and you'll find something of value in that book so do pick it up if you wish to if you're interested in food thank you so much thank you all for listening please visit allindiansmatter.in that's a w l i n d i a n s m a w t e r . i n for more columns and audio podcasts you can follow me on twitter At Ashraf Engineer, that's A S H R A F E N G I N W R, and All Indians Count, that's A W L I N D I A N S C O U N T. Search for the All Indians Matter page on Facebook, on Instagram. The handle is All Indians Matter. Email me at editor at allindiansmatter dot in. Catch you again soon. <laughs>